0: And we're back! Hey, and welcome to PAX Unplugged here from No Direction. Uh, of course, I'm Jefferson J. Thacker, also known as Pearman. I'm joined by a very special person, our own and Paizo's own, Luis Loza!
1: Hi there, thanks for having me.
0: Yes, it was really awesome to know that you were one of the Paizo people coming down here because this is my first PAX, and I was just super surprised. Like, almost all of Katie is here.
1: Yeah, it's... Pretty amazing.
0: Like, we're missing the Marlows, we're missing Lauren. I do miss Lauren. We're missing Ryan, and of sure. course, our newest member, Owen. Yep, I, I mean, then... real junior member. I, I don't know if they could have handled all the responsibilities of a convention. Yeah, I don't know. Owen seems like a guy that that has very little experience with conventions.
1: It'd be tough. <laughs>
0: Yes, and we, however, have been really enjoying our time here at this convention. I have. Have you? Yeah, absolutely. It's is been it, great. Is I it, get to
1: play Pathfinder all day. I know. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, so the the Paizo booth, they didn't bring all the merch this year. It's not like the giant purple and black puzzle piece full of Pathfinder goodies it was. Uh, you guys are just doing demos for PF2 right now, right? Yeah, that's right. Right. And You cool, partnered up with Cool Stuff, Inc. to sell the stuff. Okay. Right. So we can get Pathfinder stuff here, but they partnered up with another uh, store to actually sell the merch. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that's that's been fine. I hope that many people have been actually going to get that merch after the demos because, of course, as we all know, PF2
1: is awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I've been pointing people to the cool stuff ink Booth after every demo. Seems you know we're sure hoping that that taste that people get at the demo is, is enough to get them interested in the, in the full version of the game. And this isn't your first PAX, is it? This is my first time at PAX Unplugged specifically, mm-hmm. but I've been to PAX, what is now PAX West, uh, several times over the years. Okay, so. What's the
0: difference between PAX West and PAX Unplugged?
1: Uh, Well, the first big difference is PAX West and I'm sure PAX East and PAX South are all Mm -hmm. focused. The big focus is video games. Lots of companies are here to show off video games. But here at PAX Unplugged, it's all board games. That's why it's unplugged. There's no digital stuff at all. It's board games left and right uh, uh, all across the Exhibitor Hall. Well, not quite. There is something digital. Sirenscape's
0: here. I know that they're a Paizo partner. Um, and there's lots of people showing off digital game tables and that sort of stuff. But, yeah, no video games. Everything is analog here. Though there is one digital thing I really like seeing, and that is the return of the Bluetooth D20.
1: (laughs) What is Uh, the Bluetooth D20? Okay,
0: so I saw this at Gen Con. I saw it again here. It is this little D20 that when you roll it and connect it to Bluetooth to your PC will also tell your tabletop software that you're playing online, what it rolled. Oh, sure. So on Roll20, if I rolled a 17, it would tell Roll20, I rolled a D20 and got a 17 and work with my macros. Wow. I know, right? It, it also glows. It's got RGB in there, and it will flash if you get a crit, and tease you if you get a crit fail.
1: Param, I think it's dangerous that you've told me that, because I have to check I know, it right? out. No, I, I, I do <laughs> not
0: care how much this cost. I do not know the company who made it, but whoever makes that thing, I will give you all the money. <laughs> no, because we, especially uh, as much uh, actual play and remote play as we've been doing lately over at KD. Yeah. All right. So what are some of the cool things that you've seen here at the con?
1: Uh, well, I've seen a lot of great people come by and play the demo. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I am here working, so it's, right. it's hard to get away from, from the booth. But I, I have taken a couple of breaks. A uh, few big things that I've seen. Um, we swung by one of the uh, rooms to try out... Uh, yeah, there's several games you can try it all over the place, and we tried a, a game out yesterday called uh, Letter Jam. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a fun, cooperative game about figuring out information that you don't have, but you can see everyone else's information, and kind of all about giving clues to each other uh, to try to help all together solve, like, what letter do I have in front of me, and then you know hopefully all win and do well, mm-hmm. and that's been pretty fun. And the other thing I've been checking out, uh, just keeping my eye out on, eye out on is uh, the new Gloomhaven expansion, Frosthaven. Ah, Frosthaven. That is really big down here. They've got the coolest hats! Yeah, it's been cool. Um, and I'm, I've put in so much time into Gloomhaven that I'm just excited to see what they do with this yes, expansion.
0: I love Gloomhaven. It is a giant, heavy box yeah. that I then bought extra things to keep the giant, heavy box organized. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, how, have you played
1: through a complete gloomhaven then? No, I mean, I have something like 40 scenarios in, and I feel like I'm nowhere close to being done with it. <laughs> oh, well, I,
0: that's the thing, it's like, I'm glad it's getting a sequel, mm-hmm. but good lord, I can't imagine even finishing all the content in our box, yeah. and then the expansion, I still haven't gotten that, which yeah. I would then get after that, and oh boy, but hey, uh, always always good to have more great games here. I have seen myself a lot of great little indie press mm-hmm. RPGs. Uh, there's a group here uh, making a game called Weave, and oh, yeah. it's like this uh, RPG that's played with uh, basically their own version of tarot cards. They're not they're tarot-inspired cards. But the cool thing is that it uses the smartphone to run the actual rules of the game, uh, but you still play it analog with dice and cards. It's just when it's time the, uh, to resolve stuff, Occasionally, you you scan it with a smartphone, and all the phones are linked together, so the geome has like all the characters and stuff, and able to do it. And you're able to generate characters with this, uh, with these cards. So that was really neat. And you know, just a lot of really cool indie games. And also, have you played Obscura yet? No, I haven't. Obscurio, sorry, it's Obscurio, and maybe the best game I've played at the convention. Okay, maybe the best board game I've played in a long time. So Obscurio, if you haven't noticed, it's a game where a group of Lewitt wizards are lost in this magical uh, building yes. and they have to go through the correct portal doors to get out. Okay, One of the players plays a book. The book is giving them hints. <laughs> yes. The book is not allowed to talk to the players, they can just give clues. Uh, so how it works is you draw a card and it is like a, a cool fantasy image but it's like really wacko mm-hmm. like lots of random elements and that, that are all just like what in the world is a bird doing with three legs holding a key in its beak sure and the the book looks at the card then puts it away then draws two more cards uh, that are also pictures and tries to point at the new pictures hints as to what the real picture is but there's a traitor <laughs> who then gets to pick a card that they think matches the hints to throw them off the track, mm-hmm. it's just this little social game. Um, but it was like we—I just—we played it four times, and I wow. wanted to play it again. Wow! Yeah. And <laughs> you've seen? The, have you seen the LFG area here? Uh, no, I haven't. Okay, so
1: this is something Pax does. Oh wait, I—I think it's you. I just bought a board game. I don't have anyone to play exactly. with or teach me, and I'll just stand here until we get a group together. Exactly. Yeah. They put
0: it up on the screen, the giant LFG cone. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. Now.
1: Getting back to Pathfinder, how do you think people are reacting to PF2 here at PAX? Uh, there have been so many people who have come by that have never played Pathfinder before. Some of them haven't played any tabletop RPG ever. There's been three or four people at my various demos that this is their first time rolling d20s to oh, wow. really play the game. Some of them, you know, have experience and know what the game is. They, they come with their friends, or some of them. Well, one group said, "Hey, we, we've listened to." Uh, it's a Glass Cannon podcast. Oh, oh, yeah. And we know what Pathfinder is and how it works. We just haven't had a chance to sit down and play with it. And it seems like every time that I run a demo, everyone seems to enjoy what they're, they're, they're doing uh, and has a, a great time with it. It it being a demo means it's very <laughs> low stakes. So I can kind of just throw out stuff to make it more fun. If it looks like someone wants to try something really cool and exciting, Uh they can do that because it's a demo it's not a home game I'll just sure you can take you can try to grab that snake and then use that snake to tie up another snake great go for it <laughs> yes can <laughs> you make a snake bola out of it and throw it a goblin <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs>
0: <laughs> awesome and I know PFS is active here mm-hmm. a lot of people saying farewell to PF1 with some of the big finale uh, one good chance to get those big finale scenarios in and I imagine there's a lot of PF2 running, and yeah. I know Alex and James have been, when we met up with them, uh, they were very positive about the experience. Um, they were playing like the hardest mode of the finale adventure path,
1: yeah. and I believe Alex told me... He died three times in, in the f- one encounter. In the first encounter. In the first encounter. <laughs> I was actually there, I swung by to say hi, and watched him die two of those times. <laughs> But because they're high level Pathfinders, he of
0: course got better in the middle of combat. Yeah. Uh, man, path, high, high level Pathfinder is something I very rarely get to witness and play mm-hmm. because usually you know, the adventure paths uh, pan away around 16 or so. Yeah. But some of the most epic, crazy coolness happens yeah. at the top end of the game. Absolutely. Absolutely. I can't wait till I'm able to really get a good, juicy chunk of what Tui
1: is like when everybody's like 17. Yeah, I mean, there's we actually have a, a couple weeks now coming out with a, a final AP volume for Age of Ooh. Ashes, which starts at 18th level. And, and somebody wrote that, right? Yeah, some guy named Luis Loza. <laughs> what can you tell me
0: about, uh, without spoiler? Sure. without too many spoilers, what can you
1: tell me about what it's like writing the finale of a PF2 adventure? Ooh, battle? well... The very first finale of a 2e adventure path, the first taste of people's high-level play, mm-hmm. I get to do that for the first time, which comes with no pressure whatsoever. No, absolutely none, right? <laughs> I mean, y'all, y- y- one of the promises of PF2 was that
0: high-level play was fixed, so like, if you screw this up, PF2 failed. Yes, correct.
1: <laughs> it is my fault that Pathfinder 2nd Edition <laughs> makes or breaks I- I- in people's eyes. Now, um, so. Part of that has been just you know first off coming up with parts of stories that are, are what we feel are epic enough in nature to constitute being an 18th level uh, encounter, 19th level storylines, 20th level NPCs. You know mm-hmm. that you've been doing stuff like you know helping local villages out and all, all this other stuff along the way. But what is it? What are the challenges that only 18th level and higher PCs can take on that no one else can do? Um, and I mean they're, they're, it starts off with a really ridiculous big fight that is got lots of stuff going on to the point where it may even be impossible for you to stop every single bad thing that's going on so oh there's so much stuff going on, uh, but uh, a lot of the challenges that came with that is just first off obviously the game was incomplete at the time mm-hmm. that we've been writing a lot of this stuff and I being the last adventure got a bit of extra time, so I got to see things like Amanda's adventures in mm-hmm. and I can see where it is along the way and try my best to kind of tie into stuff there. This is absolutely minor spoilers for for the very beginning of Age of Ashes, but there's a fire that starts. The oh, PCs yeah. have to try mm-hmm. to put that out. Mm-hmm. At Early on in my adventure, there's another yeah, big fire and you have to try to put it out and save people. It's kind of like a callback to, to right. that. Uh, and here and there trying to seed in uh, and, and pay off stuff that has been uh, implemented in some of the other APs that I wouldn't know about until some of the adventures in are partially developed or maybe even done, and thankfully being where I am with Paizo means I can kind of poke around and ask uh, James Jacobs and say, oh, what's going on here? What's going on there? What can I tie into to try to hopefully make everything feel more cohesive tying tie in together a lot better? Um, but at the same time trying to figure out how do I make rules for that? What are the appropriate DCs for that kind of stuff? Uh, is this rules option still around by the time I've put it in and then a week later we update stuff internally again. Yeah. <laughs> the E was kind of a moving target still even from just the play test to the final version. There were still things that are mm-hmm. being tweaked up until literally we send it off to the printers. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, figuring out how to write for that kind of stuff and, you know, trusting my developer. This is what I want to do. Hopefully we can figure that out. Um, the other big challenge that came with that, though, was there's not a lot of monsters at high level. Right. Just I yet. was
0: about to ask about that because there's the bestiary. You know, has a we really like the first bestiary, yeah. and especially because you all chucked it full of monsters. It's a yes. big, thick boy. Absolutely. It's a big, thick
1: boy. Uh,
0: but it was a little light on the high level
1: stuff. Yeah, I mean, we understand that you end up playing a lot more in the earlier half mm-hmm. of a career, first to tenth level, mm-hmm. just because. When you start a new character, you start at first level, so there's a lot of stuff around those challenges that you we need available to, to fill in stuff, uh, especially with you know, things like Organized Play right now, it's only up to like 6th level at most, it'll be a year or two before they're starting to touch 15th, 17th, 20th level monsters. Um, and a lot of the high level monsters, oh, I'd say about a third of them, are just dragons. <laughs> <laughs> And well, at least th- you're playing in Age of Ashes, yeah, dragons you're in Age of are welcome. Ashes. Dragons are a theme, but I also didn't want it to be that every third fight you have is here's another dragon, <laughs> and here's another dragon, so it, it, it becomes kind of difficult to decide what do we do, um, but luckily with APs, as we've done plenty of times before, we come up with new monsters that aren't even entered in the best year at the end, but just sometimes it's, oh, here is a variant stone giant or whatever, and suddenly it's you know, an 18th level thing instead of a a 14th level thing. and You update the stats, add some extra cool abilities, and now it it works for what you need to do. So there was a lot of that, uh, taking existing monsters uh, as the base of things, pumping up their numbers, and then uh, making them more appropriate for the high-level stuff. In addition to that, we do have that best year in the end, uh, every AP in the, the Adventure Toolbox that comes with new monsters that we can use. I mean, there's, I think, six or seven new monsters in there and pretty much all but one of them end up in the adventure itself because got to use what I can. Mm-hmm. So I, it, it, it will be easier as we go on with, when we have a Bestiary 2 and, any, and other monsters in the future um, that we can pick some of the more varieties of, of different things that aren't just dragons. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, it was tough. I think I managed to fill out things pretty well We'll see what, how people feel about that. Luckily, you don't have to fight a dragon every three rooms. Because uh, <laughs> that would be yeah. pretty tough. When this happened last time, and I, I
0: loved Rising Lords, but one of the criticisms of Rising Lords is, boy, we fight nothing but giants. And yeah. so uh, the dragon adventure path could have gone down that road. So I'm glad... It didn't. Especially since um, I'm playing Age of Ashes right now. Mm -hmm. We're about at the end of book one, Amanda Hammond's volume. And it's so great. I love it so much. Especially, um, there's a pair of NPCs you meet in the dungeon Mm -hmm. who have very high thoughts about themselves. And that particular (laughs) role-playing scene, which, which... there's a lot of role-playing in the dungeons, mm-hmm. which I love because it means everything is more than just one more role for an initiative, and it's caused my players to hold back a little bit before the stabby-stabby murder-hobo thing, yeah. um, <laughs> and, and
1: just getting to play up lots of these really colorful characters. Mm-hmm. Please tell me
0: you gave me colorful characters to keep playing.
1: Uh, there are plenty of social interactions going on in even the, the last adventure there. Um, I don't, it, was, it could have been very easily that Part 6 is just, here we go, every monster left and right, and you're just fighting and fighting and fighting and fighting. But that was, first off, not interesting to me as a writer, (laughs) and to not something that everyone would be able to enjoy. I mean, there are people who are, by this point, have been playing something like a bard and might have specialized in something like diplomacy Mm. or intimidation. And might want to make use of those skills, and I want to make sure that happens, so even up until... Pretty much the final fight. There are some instances of monsters where, if you say the right thing or know the, a different trick to, to beat them, that isn't just reducing their hit points to zero. You, you can win these fights or, or overcome these obstacles uh, without drawing a sword. Mm. Now, has it been like,
0: we've seen a lot of the combat math, and that's the easiest thing for us mm-hmm. to play test. So, like, even in the playtest, I threw, like, some, like, level 15 characters against some big old monsters just to see what it was like. How is writing non-combat challenges for high levels different <laughs> in PF
1: 2 um, At least for my adventure, part of it came down to just putting out a lot of stuff uh, and expecting to trust the GM to decide what works best and how to resolve things. There's a big part in, in about halfway through the adventure where there's a large, large building that you, you have to get through. And I kind of made a big sandbox that says, here's all the different rooms in it and here's what people are doing, and what's in every room. And here's some basic info, like when the guards are coming around and whatever. At this point, the PCs can do so much. Mm-hmm. I, It's safer to just, Tell you what's happening, and let the GM kind of work with that and figure it out. I don't want to put in assumptions like, oh, well, if they're invisible, this happens. If they use passwall, this happens. There's so many things that it can do at this point that would eat up half of the word count in the book just explaining. Well, this contingency and that contingency and this contingency and you know and all, all that stuff. So it, it comes down to putting out all the right tools and uh, information that a GM needs to work with that, and then kind of accommodating whatever their particular group can do. If everyone is really good at stealth, perfect. Everyone just sneaks on by. Mm -hmm. If everyone wants to kick down the door, great. They can probably beat up everyone in there because they're 19th level at this point. Or if they want to use any combination of different things, it's there you have all the information you need Mm -hmm. to make it work. Now.
0: Besides working on Age of Ashes Book 6, which is something I'm very excited for because, like I said, it's really going to show if PF2 can
1: really handle that high-level stuff. And it goes to 20. It goes to 20th level. You you are starting to hit DCs that... Reach the 50s. Wow. Uh, Well, if this was PF1, it would be no problem. Yeah. No, but no. No. PF2, that's a big deal. That's still (laughs) pretty tough, even for 20th level characters with all the extra bonuses that they're going to get. It hopefully is a dramatic final fight when you... Can I hit this (laughs) AC-52? But... The other things you've been working on is
0: the Lost Omens yes. Now We got a chance to talk uh, just a few days ago with James Jacobs about yep. Gods and Magic, but considering you were a developer on that book, yep. I would love to hear your thoughts on Gods and Magic. So first, real quick, for anybody who I missed mean, it, especially since this is going to be going out on YouTube and that's a little bit of a different audience, yeah. uh, give us a quick summary of what Gods
1: and Magic sure. is going to be. Uh, so, Gods and Magic is our big first chance in second edition to present not only the core deities that we have kind of mentioned in the core rulebook, we mentioned who Abadar is, who Caden Caelan is, who Desna is, and give you some basic information. Oh, Caden's a god of yeah. bravery and ale, and here's his domains, and here's his favorite weapon, but that's not very much. If you don't know who Caden already is, it takes a bit of effort to find out who that is. And we want to make sure everyone that's coming into to second edition has an easy resource for that. Uh, so Gods and Magic being our, our third Lost Omens book, pretty early on still in the life of Tui, and is our chance to explain, here's all the core 20 deities, and in addition to that, here's a bunch of other deities that exist in the setting, from imperial lords to, uh, you know, the, yes. <laughs> the the horsemen to, you know, more obscure yes. obscure deities from outside of the inner sea, like Kazutal from Arcadia, Gruhasta like from Vudra, or some of the mm-hmm. Tian deities. Um, and for some people, these are going to be brand new, this is your first time looking at them, because never looked at them in, in 2e before. Uh, for some people, these are include brand new deities that didn't exist in first edition. Um, APs have had a lot of different stuff happen, and with that, a lot of new deities have risen up or, or, or even changed who they were. So we, we get to present you for the first time with an updated timeline. Here is uh, Nocticula. Mm-hmm. You knew her once as a demon lord. She's still a demon lord. What's up with that? And uh, you know things like that all show up in the book. And we knew that so many people have so many deities that they love. Mm -hmm. I I think someone told us we have over 400 deities at at this point in Pathfinder's history. Um, There is a deity for everyone for pretty much every niche that you want, and there's still, I'm sure, so many niches that we can fill. Mm -hmm. And to make up for the fact that we're now in second edition and things require, or, or deities require a lot of information, you need an edict. Right. You need anathema, you need favored weapons, domains, mm-hmm. things like that, uh, which is not something that is currently present. You look in the core rulebook, you get the core 20. Uh, we want to kind of bring a lot of these deities forward to 2E and have them ready to go for, for mm-hmm. people. There's lots of deities that have been pretty popular in organized play Right. Uh, that yeah. we want to bring back. We, we chatted with the OP team to make sure we got that. We, we had an internal hey, give us your top 10 favorite deities. We're going to put all of those in from the entire office to make sure that everyone has the deities that they love. So we added an entire huge chart at the end of the book that has over 100 deities to just fill out that information and get things up to date as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot of information on, on gods, but not only that, it also includes things that are beliefs that aren't necessarily worship of a deity. You might... Uh, worship, um, you know, ancestral spirits. If you are a Shwanti. Uh you know, they have uh, Shwanti animism is in there. We have the Calistocrats in there. Uh, we have information on the uh, laws of mortality. So, mm-hmm. if you're from Rahadum and you don't like these deities, what do you believe? What 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 is it about you that you your um, your character from Rahadum, How do they, they go about their everyday life? We include information on. If you're an atheist you know mm-hmm. you, you, there's a lot of philosophies green face lots of different stuff there that is more than just deities mm-hmm. plus so many rules options to support all that new domains new spells new magic items new weapons new feats pretty much the the whole gamut of, of rules options are in there and
0: we were chatting last night when we were when we were hanging out mm-hmm. um there's a specific part of this book that you're really
1: excited about the pantheons yes so tell us about pantheons all right. So um, in Galarian, if you've you know if you paid any attention to the uh, setting, you you know that there are so many deities that kind of overlap with their uh, concerns and, and the, the things that their followers are are worshiping worshiping them for. So, uh, for example, uh, Desna is a goddess uh, of luck and freedom, personal freedom, and Caden Calion is a god of liberation and freedom, Uh, and Milani is a god of revolution and keeping freedom for people. So that whole theme of freedom Mm -hmm. applies for all three deities. And if you're someone who's interested in keeping people's liberties uh, and freedoms uh, available to them, you might be a worshiper of Caden and Desna and Milani Mm -hmm. all at once. And it would, so far in Pathfinder's history, there's been a lot of information on, here's how you worship a single deity, Now we want to expand that and say, you know, people in our setting have been worshiping groups of deities at once. If you're a dwarf, you might worship the entire dwarf pantheon. If you're an elf, there's an elf pantheon. There's orc pantheons, goblin pantheons. Mm -hmm. Um, Or you might have a a strange pantheon like the godclaw. And we haven't really ever had rules for how to do that as uh, a mechanical option. You can do that as a character, however you want, but if you were a cleric, you were kind of stuck with one deity for the, that point, or, or a paladin might have one deity. But now we have rules here to explain. Here's how you do it if you want to worship a pantheon, and a pantheon will actually have separate listings of domains, alternate domains and spells they grant and stuff, then the individual deities that are part of that. So the pantheon itself is treated as if kind of like it were its own individual deity, with its own list of domains, edicts, and anathemas, and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So,
0: so was it hard to put these rules together, especially like with the God Claw, where the deities really kind of
1: hate each other? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, there's there's some contradictions here, like mm-hmm. the God Claw, for example, where it's kind of tough to resolve or, 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 or decide, you know, how do you worship them without going straight evil or, or mm-hmm. suddenly becoming more good than you, you wanted your character to be as represented by your alignment um, so we kind of found a nice middle ground for that mechanically what, what happens is you decide what pantheon you want to worship let's say it's the godclaw who includes Iomide, Torag, Irori, Abadar, and Asmodeus mm-hmm. a huge spread in terms of alignment and, and, right. and values and all that stuff. And there's one specific odd man out in that group Who's that? Esmodius. Esmodius. Uh, no, I mean everyone loves Esmodius. <laughs> as is mandated, I mean, I'd, I'd, Ev- everyone loves Asmodeus. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well,
0: I love Esmodius. He's mm-hmm. such a cool character yeah, in the setting, eight and eight I think. like how he's been portrayed. And I really like that he, the, the Prince of Truth angle for mm-hmm. Esmodius, because yeah. he's very lawful. That might actually be very true.
1: Correct. Uh, and his claim—it's technically correct as he
0: claims. Yes, <laughs> technically correct. And he, of course claims that he is one of the people responsible for the creation of everything. Mm -hmm. And if that's technically right, that has a lot of implications. Sure. Um,
1: But he's also, like, Ayamade really hates him. Yeah, I mean, they don't get along, but they both value truth and Uh honesty and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, And yeah, that's one of the the conflicts that we came up with is how do we explain Mm -hmm. someone worshipping both of those deities as Mm -hmm. part of a pantheon? Um, So, like I mentioned, there's kind of a middle ground that we landed on there. So you choose the pantheon you want to worship or whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, But each pantheon includes several deities. So what you do is then choose what we call a patron deity. Okay. Basically, the the primary deity that's your main focus. um, That is kind of the overall deity that is uh, the one uh, that you follow primarily over all of the other ones as part of the pantheon. So if you're a worshiper of Iomidae, as part of the God Claw, first and foremost, you have to follow Iomedae's edicts and anathemas. Those come first, and then immediately after are the God Clause edicts and anathemas. And they're, in, for the most part, mostly compatible, except for in cases where, you know, maybe Asmodeus wants you to <laughs> have retribution against someone in a way that maybe as uh, the Iomedae wouldn't want to, to for example. Um, or the the fact that the uh, godclaw offers the tyranny domain, which isn't something that Iomedae is really looking to have anyone uh, take uh, as one of her followers. So we, we say in the rules, hey, here's your patron deity, follow everything that they want, follow their edicts and anathema first, immediately followed by the pantheons. And then in cases where it would contradict your pra- patron deity's edicts or anathemas, you... You, you won't be doing that. You technically have access to the Tyranny Domain, but because the Iomedae is your patron, taking the Tyranny Domain would be anathema to her mm-hmm. beliefs. So you you, get, you have to kind of work within the confines mm-hmm. of what the Pantheon offers to not offend uh, uh, your patron deity and still be able to get all of that stuff. So it's a lot like how paladins uh, were reorganized, so like these are the rules,
0: but now they have priorities. So, mm-hmm. so like, my patron's day so I do everything, but I also have to do everything Aori wants except where it violates Aomade.
1: Yeah. yeah, exactly. And and for the most part, that shouldn't be a problem. These deities are parts of Pantheons because they work together in mm-hmm. a way that should be compatible with mm-hmm. each of their individual uh, beliefs and wants. Uh, so. In theory, you can do a lot of the stuff for the God Claw in a way that won't offend Iomedae and still be good. So the, the the Pantheon of Freedom, did you write that just so the firebrands could have something cool? Uh, I did now. That's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I mean, that was just the first example that mm-hmm. came to mind. Freedom works a lot. I mean, there's a lot of sun deities, right. lots of light deities. Mm-hmm. Wind and water, I think we were discussing. If you're out going out to sea, Bismara is great. Cosra uh-huh. is great. There's there's a lot of deities that kind of apply for a lot of little things that... you. Then, uh, with this pantheon framework, we have both for ourselves and for GMs. I put out there a way for people to kind of start cobbling these things together. If you like all the deities that are about showmanship and strength and showing off, you, you might you know have the uh, the show off pantheon that it kind of you can cobble together as a GM and provide to your your, P, your players that might want that. Mm-hmm. Or we might do that later on when when it makes sense. So wait. There's going to be rules in here, or at least guidelines for creating your own pantheon? With the framework here, I mean, we we already know the rules for mm-hmm. the deities. We know edicts and anathemas and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, so GMs can use that as a framework. Oh, I need to homebrew my own deities for mm-hmm. either my home campaign or for a home setting even. Um, you can use that as a base. I know how many domains each deity has and all that stuff. So with that same framework, you can then do... the. The three pantheons that we present will then hopefully be a great springboard for us and for, for GMs to use that as they wish. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Now, the book coming after that is
0: Absalom. Yes. So what can you tell me about Absalom?
1: Okay, So Absalom is great. It's what we call the city of the center of the world. It's right. pretty much... Which is not quite accurate. Um, uh, it's the city of the center of its own world. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's not uh, even on the center of its own island. <laughs> uh, it's one of the biggest mm-hmm. uh, cities in our, our campaign right. setting. It's kind of been their pretty prominent part of a lot of what we've done for, for many mm-hmm. years. And very early on in Pathfinder's career, I think even early before the Pathfinder rules proper were out, mm-hmm. we put out a, an Absalom campaign setting book and have gone back in adventures and, and, and things like that here and there, but never taken a deep dive back into the city Okay. since that book over 10 years ago, probably at this point. And we think it's due time for that, mm-hmm. uh, especially with an upcoming pair of APs that are centered in and around Absalom. Right. It's important for GMs and players to know what is Absalom? What is life like in Absalom? And we can easily point them to the old book, but it, there's a lot of more that we want right. to say. Mm-hmm. That book was 64 pages. This book is over 280 pages, I believe. What? Uh, yeah. Wait, wait. I thought it would be a, one of the 128 No, no, no. When when we think it makes sense, we make these books big. Oh, I <laughs> like hearing that. Which, up until now,
0: all the Absalom books, like the biggest one was a 96-pager. So this is definitely going to be more Absalom than we've ever had before. Yes,
1: absolutely. Um, and if you're going to be... A member uh, of the new Edge Watch and literally never leave the city for a whole 20 level <laughs> AP. It's important to know the ins and outs of it. Uh, so we need to give it the space it needs to, to provide all of that information. So Absalom, uh, City of, of Lost Omens, is a huge, deep, deep dive <laughs> into Absalom. Probably nowhere deep as, as we'd like to have it, but mm-hmm. a, as deep as we can within the constraints of the, our, our page count, yeah. where we talk about, you know, all of the history of Absalom. There's been so many sieges and stuff mm-hmm. throughout its history mm-hmm. that... Including one a couple of years ago. Yeah, one very recently. Yeah. That, that there's an enormous timeline that's going into the book, mm-hmm. along with um, you know history of things like, where did all the different architecture that you see come from? There's uh, John Compton actually provided an enormous like section that's hey here's when this particular architecture style came into play and here's this architectural style things like that uh the, the whole history of the, the the city from the raising uh, of the isle of Cortos to today uh we go into everyday life hey it's sunrise what's happening okay it's noon what are people doing oh it's you know lunchtime what are people doing then and it, it gives you a kind of a detailed breakdown of just a a day in the life of Absalom and what people are doing here's what dock workers are doing here's what nobles are doing here's what the guard are doing and you can get a good idea of at any time of the day what kind of stuff might be going on in Absalom which is is pretty helpful for uh, it's 4 o'clock what do your PCs do? Oh well what is there to do? Well let me tell you you know people Mm -hmm. are still working but some of the people are doing this and that Um, we dive into the very, very uh, intricate politics that are part of Absalom. There are so many players in the city uh, vying for their own goals and, and aspirations. Uh, the, the, the Shadow War, as we call it, is is a huge section in the book. I think it's 10 pages just explaining all the different politics going on. And then from there, kind of like we did with uh, the World Guide, we break the city down into large chunks that we can kind of focus on as well. Uh, each district has Anywhere from 8 to 12 pages, it just explains who lives there, what kind of things are there to see there, what kind of places are there to see, um, who are the guards, who are the important people living around there. Um, and it even includes a kind of mini random encounter table that, hey, we're here, uh, we want to do something. Okay, I'm, I roll a, a die and determine, oh, you, you see this going on, on an, in a back alley and you know, kickstart a, a little adventure. Um, and then, of course, we provide cool stuff like new monsters, like there's a, a new cryptid that's stomping around the puddles. Um, <laughs> I love cryptids. I love cryptids so much. And, you know, NPC stat blocks, see if you need a basic guard, you need, you know, basic noble, things like that that, that will help you uh, in, a, in a typical Absalom adventure. Um, and, you know, just a lot of stuff that's mostly lore here. We, we want to flesh out the world as much as we can and this is our our first big deep dive on one subject the world guide and character guide and gods and magic all kind of had broader themes but this is the first one where it's Absalom is the book everything Absalom the the entire time excellent and I'm super psyched
0: uh, to hear about more about that book and to review it but you just announced Mm -hmm. the next one yeah and it had a very interesting cover.
1: Yeah, it's great. So it, what can
0: you tell us about
1: Lost Omens and Legends? Lost Omens Legends. So um, with the the books that we're putting together, we, we kind of want to not retread new ground right. all the time. I mean, not to say that we didn't like the previous work, but it's always great to, to explore more and more mm-hmm. of the, the world. And there are figures that we have been talking about since literally before Pathfinder was a thing. Mm-hmm. Harbophon was he's, featured as a mini in the Complete Encounters line. So tiny. And technically and He's only
0: CR-14. <laughs> why, he why is everybody having such a trouble against the CR-14 lich?
1: Who knows? <laughs> uh, I think he leveled up a little bit in the, in the process. Um, but yeah, he, he's existed since before Pathfinder. And, and he's a character that we've spoken about a lot over the years. But there have been other characters that have been featured here and there. Here's... Uh, Queen Adasaril of Kionin. Mm-hmm. She showed up a little bit and is mentioned a bit, you know, around Second Darkness, mm-hmm. Elsa Galarian, things like that, and then hasn't been seen since. Right. That's over ten years. Okay. And there are also figures in... She was in
0: Queen of Thorns.
1: Yeah, but mm-hmm. most pe- most players might not have right. checked out the, the novels. And, and if you do, please, great, that's amazing, you know, you get to flesh mm-hmm. it out more, but... Or if you're a brand new player to TUI, mm-hmm. you might have seen a lot of the entries in the World Guide had. NPCs featured alongside that said, oh, here's Queen Abigail. She's important for this reason. And here's Tessa Fairwin. She's important for this reason, and so on and so forth. A bunch of people that had a sentence or two at most in those books, uh, and some of them are actually brand new NPCs that were never seen before then, that we want to give them a a chance to kind of show who they are Mm -hmm. and explain why they're important uh, and what they're doing in the world. So Queen Abigail has been around forever. It, it's possible that you know her pretty well. But also, the last time we saw her was basically in the end of Hell's Vengeance, mm-hmm. which at this point was three years ago. Mm-hmm. And Chaliax got pretty shaken up then. I mean, part of it has become the new nation of Ravenel. Wow. How is Abigail responding to that? But what is, how does she feel about that? Spoilers, she's not happy. I would <laughs> imagine so, right? Uh, <laughs> but also... Who knows Abigail, you know, how, how, why Why is she important? You can't just be a queen sitting and ruling a nation and expect no one to interact with you whatsoever. <laughs> no, you, there, there are people who are trying to work with her to, to do whatever they, they want. There are people who dislike her and are trying to bring her down. There are firebrands out there that have become enemies of the state of Chelyax because mm-hmm. of their work against uh, Chelyax uh, that are featured in this book. And we explain the relationship between both of these NPCs and every NPC featured in here has at least two connections with every other NPC Mm. in the book to even show just between the over 30 characters that we feature here how is the the world kind of interwoven with each other there's you know three new Linorb kings and what do they all think of each other there's two new uh, Rune Lords that are, have recently shown up in the world and now rule their own nations. What do they think of each other? But also, what do they think about Tarbafon's armies kind of knocking on their back door? That might be a problem if you want to rule a nation and not be a zombie. Yeah, but you're also Rune Lord portion and maybe a bunch of zombies are nothing that you can't Army. handle. Um, we will never escape barking dogs on this podcast. <laughs> it's, it's a staple. It's, <laughs> um, yeah, we... we we get to show these uh in in addition to all the connections we get to show a lot of adventure hooks uh, as to plots that may happen in the future either Mm -hmm. stuff that we suggest use this as a GM and, and tell those stories at your table or we might come back later in organized play or even modules and APs and say this was happening in Legends and now it's happening for real you know we had hinted that this might happen um you know there's uh, one of the Hell Knight Lictors is, is a member here. Uh, he's a, the Lictor of the Order of the Scourge. Um, and the Order of the Scourge is all about investigating corruption and stuff. And they saw all this stuff that happened in Chaliax mm-hmm. and then realized, oh, wait, West Crown is now under stricter rulership and all this stuff going on. Did, did Queen Abigail do this on purpose? Is, is is Hell's Rebels and Hell's Vengeance all just a front for her to kind of grab more power within Cheliax and, and, you know, get get a tighter hold on, on, on the law and stuff? Mm-hmm. We need to investigate that and then <laughs> figure out what's going on there. Um, and then yeah. later you find out, oh, but maybe Queen Abigail also contacted Jacqueline of the Red Mantis and said, take out those darn... Uh, <laughs> Hell knights that are poking their nose in my business, and, <laughs> and you start seeing all these big webs that are getting woven through through all the different NPCs. What? Politics and celiacs, never. <laughs> Who could have guessed? <laughs> uh, so that's all great, and mm-hmm. it's amazing, mm-hmm. you know, lore content. But we always want to make sure we're presenting new information for players that right. want to use the book, mm-hmm. and not every entry has these. We we have and I think eight or more at least eight I can say uh, what are our larger entries for each of the for some of these NPCs that feature rules options right um, but the way these are presented and just say instead of just saying okay here's Queen Abigail and now here's a bunch of devil based feats or devil based spells we want to encourage players to also meet these characters in the book We want your characters to go meet and interact with them so you might, um, Want to learn about the history of Old Mage Jatembe, and in the process, while you're doing so, <laughs> win the trust of the Magambia. And mm-hmm. if you do that, you earn access to these rare spells that, oh, yeah. that Jatembe created himself that have been kept kind of in the archives of, mm-hmm. of the Magambia and are only accessible to the most trusted people. Mm-hmm. And uh, e- e- all these rules options are, are something that your characters can earn by working with you know your GM uh, to tell stories where you. Earn the trust of abigail throon and thus earn a cool infernal contract that gives you great power mm-hmm. that abigail throon has full control over <laughs> <laughs> um, or you might earn um you know new uh technology that has been kind of stolen away out of numeria and things like that uh so there, there are a lot of options for you to go into that we hope will be uh, a good reason for for players to read mm-hmm. these entries and then say hey gm I want this cool new metal alloy that Kevoth Cool is making in Numeria. How do I get that? And then you play out the story where you go try to convince the now mostly lucid, mostly sober barbarian king to, to give you some stuff. Nice. Now, what's, have you announced a page count for this book yet? Uh, I believe this one is 128 pages,
0: so. All right. Well, is there anything else
1: exciting in Pathfinder that you want to draw attention to? I mean, everything is exciting. Uh, I mean, I'm excited to see people's reactions to um, the Extinction Curse AP mm-hmm. starting next month. Uh, joining the circus sounds like an amazing time. Yeah. <laughs> I'm particularly excited uh, to play in the Edgewatch AP when it comes Today? out. Yeah, got so a group arranged? I, I want to play that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, we'll see how that turns out. APG is going to have some cool stuff. I contributed there and Yep, it it was a really fun time writing all of that, um, and you know, just there's lots of little places where exciting content is coming out that may not be completely obvious. If you, you may not as a player be checking out the uh, the aps, but each of those ends with a, a cool adventure toolbox that has presented things like new archetypes, um, and new magic items and stuff like that. And in my adventure in particular, I provided a new twentieth level feat for every class. Oh, uh, can you give us a taste of one? Yeah, absolutely, so the, the idea is that, you know, it's 20th level, you might want to take, you, you might have met people that can teach you brand new techniques that have never mm-hmm. been seen outside of, of, uh, of where they live, um, and these are these new feats that, that I'm talking about, and those are something that you could earn as part of playing in this AP. Hey, I got to 20th level and I met the, these people when I leveled up. I'm going to take the technique that they taught me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a uh, the the fighter has uh, a versatility option where you know I think it starts at eighth level. They can take an X, ex- basically get trained in a feat every day that can they can swap out. Just you know, kind of represents some training that it might do in the morning. And oh, suddenly I'm I know I remember how to use this shield technique and stuff like mm-hmm. that. I've practiced it for the day, uh, and that improves. And you can have two different feats. I added a twentieth level feat that lets you get up to a chain of three feats. That you can use to build off that, and every hour, if you needed to, you could retrain yourself and have have a new set of feats ready to go. Uh, I brought back the scalds uh, song that brings people back from the dead to oh. keep fighting <laughs> a, as as a bard focus spell. Mm-hmm. So if if you're focus uh, spell, yeah, okay, it, yeah, it's it's a uh, it's technically um uh, a, what do they called? The, not performance. Uh, it's a bard song, basically. That mm-hmm. it's a focus spell, and if everyone dies around you, just play the song and bring them all back to keep fighting. Um, there's, um, support for if you're a barbarian and you are so angry that you will never die. There's a feat for that now. <laughs> so supporting some of the the kind of interesting and exciting playstyles that you might have been used to from first edition. I'm trying to I tried to bring some of those back and, and offer what I feel like are, are just cool options that can stand alongside what you see in the core book. Fantastic. Well, we
0: have very little time left, so thank you very much, Luis, for joining us. Absolutely. Thank that you. It was great. Um, hope that you continue to have a great PAX. I know you've got some booth time to put in after yeah. this. Um, and we will see you very soon on the next episode of No Direction. If you want to find out more, you can check us out at nodirectionpodcast.com. And, of course, if you want to hang out with us, do so on our Discord server. It is the chillest place to hang out and chat about Pathfinder, Starfinder, and all things nerdy. We're all on it. We all chat with the fans. And there are all the a lot of the fans on there. A great community. We really want you to join in. And, of course, none of this would be possible. I would not be able to be here at PAX without the support of our patrons. If you want to support the network, you can do so by clicking on the Patreon link on our website, that is, of course, nodirectionpodcast.com, where you can also check out
1: your blog. Yes, you can check out Monsters' Physique and all the fun monsters I put I together. always look forward to Monsters' which include Physique. include second edition monsters now. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. All
0: right, Till next time, I'm Jefferson J. Thacker, also known as Parham. I'm Luis Loza. <laughs> and if you want to find the path, you need No Direction.